All right, thank you so much for tuning in to Forward Thinking Founders. This is the podcast where we highlight undiscovered talent. We're scanning Y Combinator, Pioneer, Product Hunt, Twitter, Indie Hackers, all these different networks to find really interesting founders and interesting projects and startups. And we feature them on the podcast before you've probably heard of any of them. And what's great about this is you get to follow along on their journey as they become more and more successful and say, I knew them when. So thank you so much for tuning in to Forward Thinking Founders. And let's get into our next founder you haven't heard of, but you will. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to have on the show Meha Agrawal, who is the CEO and founder of Silk and Sonder. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat. Yeah, thanks for being open to coming on. Really intrigued with what you're building um, because like, on, it's one of these things where it's like on the surface, it's like, oh, I've seen something like this before. But I, when I just decided to dive a little deeper, I'm like, whoa, like this is really different and interesting um, and unique. So um, you kind of to, to go off of that for people that don't know what you're working on. Can you please uh, ta- tell the, the listeners what Silk and Sonder is and what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So Silk and Sonder is a subscription based wellness community for modern women. Uh, And what we do is we send members a new self-care planner meets journal every single month. That specific product is inspired by positive psychology, bullet journal techniques, so things like mood tracking, habit tracking, meal tracking, uh, along with your traditional calendar layouts. Um, It's centered around a new theme every month, so it's a a bit of a surprise to our members. And then our customers also receive access to a members-only community for peer-to-peer support and accountability. So I think you know, like you said, on the surface, the journal seems relatively similar to what you might see in Target and Anthro. But when you open the journal, you'll notice that there are very specific custom layouts inspired by self-help books um, and bullet journaling techniques that make it really unique. And then we also layer that with access to other customers, which is a very special experience. How did you... Well, actually, let's let's start from the beginning of this. So I'd love to hear about what made you want to start this. And then how did you know what to include in the journal? Like what about the bullet journal inspired you? And I'd just love to hear a little, a little bit about the inputs into knowing what to build once you decided you wanted to create this. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I started, I was actually a software engineer at Stitch Fix at the time. And, you know, every couple of years I was hitting this career rut. And in my mid-20s, I experienced a particularly horrific rut where it was a combination of career, personal, relationship, family, everything felt like it was crashing down. And so I found myself waking up with severe anxiety, uh, felt like I was on the verge of burnout, um, and I really couldn't figure out how to get over that hump. And so, you know, coming from a South Asian American background, uh, coaching, And therapy isn't really something that my family uh, specifically talked about. And so it felt very intimidating to navigate, navigate, to overcome that hurdle. And then, you know, I found myself trying other things. So I tried to meditate and I found that process very boring. Um, I tried to read books on self-help and personal development. And I would find myself inspired, but that inspiration was short-lived due to a lack of accountability. And so ultimately I found 
that my friends, you know, stopped picking up my calls because I was this broken record and a negative source of energy that I grudgingly brought pen to paper and decided to give this concept of journaling and positive psychology a go. Um, and this five minute practice of gratitude and goal setting, intention setting uh, evolved into a 30 minute morning ritual. And that's really when I started to look into this hybrid product um, and, and seeing what was out there that helped me uh, achieve both the intentional and kind of guided journaling experience side of things alongside actionable productivity side of things. And what I found was that everything was very uh, distinct. I'd have to use multiple things to get to achieve that same goal. And so I thought, how cool would it be to have this all-in-one solution where we could send people this planner meets a journal because that's a product that I wish I had um, and also evolve with that because what I was learning with my Stitch Fix experience was that establishing that direct one-to-one -one relationship with our customers could allow us the opportunity to reverse engineer what, like you said, could potentially go into these journals. And so I did exactly that. I kind of used my own inspiration on the types of things that I wanted to track. Um, so things like habit tracking and mood tracking. And, and for your listeners that don't know, bullet journaling is really this note-taking methodology that evolved a few years ago. And a lot of creatives have, have, have produced beautiful layouts. But for the average person like myself, um, while I consider myself creative in, in many ways, I'm unfortunately not uh, an artist. And so I would feel very defeated in that process of trying to use my moleskin notebook to guide that, um, guide that layout creation. And so in Silk and Sonder, in the first edition, I really combined the, the layouts that I found most inspiring. So things like the, the mood tracking layouts, the habit tracking layouts, uh, meal tracking, uh, so we can really encourage nutrition, and then just the weekly logs of intention setting and, and kind of uh, creating space for your, your planning capabilities and things like that. And so at the bare minimum, to be honest, it was a mix of what I wanted and what I wish I tracked better. And then slowly over time, we started to take feedback from our customers, our early adopters. And from there, we were able to add more things like recipes and, um, you know, other, other guided prompts that were derived by themes based off of what customers were liking. So one thing I'm curious about is this whole world of mindfulness, meditation, you know, inner work, et cetera, which you're, you're kind of inside of right now with this is something that I feel like a millions, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people understand. But if for people that don't get it, like they don't get yoga, they don't get meditation, they don't get journaling, they like are like, you know, why would I need to do this? I'm not going to spend money on it until they have kind of that moment. Mm -hmm. um, how did you talk about this product in your company with people that may not have found the the full value in journaling and a full disclosure, I might be one of them. I know how important mindfulness is. I know how important yoga is and journaling, but like I don't journal every day and I know I okay. should. Um, so, and I'm sure you talk to like a lot of people like that. So I'm just kind of curious, like how do you talk to people that aren't in the habit of journaling and how yeah. can you kind of convince them that it's maybe a good route to go if you're struggling with X, Y, and Z in life? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and to be fully transparent, I was that skeptic. I mean, I, I still don't like meditation. I know that I quote unquote should um, be meditating, but personally, it just doesn't inspire me. I feel more drained and bored than uplifted. And so I think there's this, 
realization as a founder that you have where you can't be all things to all people. And so uh, interestingly enough, we kind of have two segments of customers. One is the avid journaler, someone who already gets yoga, who already gets meditation, who may not be doing all those things, but at least has that sense of self-awareness of what works for me and what doesn't and bringing pen to paper works for her. And so that's why Silk and Sonder works for her. And then we've got the other segment, which are the natural skeptics who are willing to give it a go, but they've never really caught on to the practice of journaling. And Silk and Sonder makes for a great entry point into that experience. And so uh, in our case, I think, um, I think what I've realized is that I'm really not serving that audience who is so cynical that they get mindfulness is important, but they don't want to really try things. Like that is not really a demographic that we're currently going after. But at least in the, the two instances, instances I just described, it's um, these people are at least aware of the importance and are willing to give it a go. And once they get Silk and Sonder into their hands, that uh, friction is reduced because we have those guided prompts. I think the problem that I identified with my own journaling experience and why I never grew up a Dear Diary person was because there's this misunderstanding around what is journaling, right? Journaling is not just recounting your day or saying, you know, dear diary, I have a crush on so-and-so. It's not, it's not just that. It's actually a, a much deeper introspective experience, which can be very, very uh, difficult to navigate on your own. And in fact, I think that's why I really like to describe Silk and Sonder as a life coach in booklet form, because we are essentially giving you these prompts that feel uh, less intimidating. They feel more approachable. They feel a bit more authentic. No one's really checking in. You don't have to write an entire essay every single day. It's really a few times a month. And that is that entry point. So I think to answer your question, I think it's really a show and tell experience rather than let me force feed you the importance of journaling and meditation and you know draw out these scientific conclusions to make you believe it. It's much more, hey, give it a try. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, come check back another time, you know, when you're going through a difficult experience and see if it works for you then. Yeah, that's um that's like kind of the perfect answer because you just like with any product or any startup, you can't um, you can't kind of get everyone, but you can kind of just be you and you can explain, you know, what's gotten so many people into these things. And I do think having a brand like yours, which I really like, actually, um, if you haven't, you know, if you're listening to this, you haven't checked out um, their website, just Google Silk and Sonder um, or Silk Plus Sonder um, and you, it'll it'll pop up. And it's just I, I almost think you have a brand that can push this into even more mm. of the mainstream. And what's exciting is you're not just this journal, um, I believe when you were explaining that you were talking about there's there's also an online component to it or a community mm -hmm. component component, which is actually really interesting because you're bringing a hardware almost on mm -hmm. on to software. Can you talk a little bit about your community uh, community component and how yeah. it all ties together? Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's interesting when we launched Silk and Sonder, uh, we didn't have that community piece fully solved. Right, we had your the normal Instagram handle and, and a place for people to connect. But um, beyond that, there wasn't much. And so it was really a natural discovery process. And I think what we, what we nailed and what we're doing better than our competitors is that we have, a, we have essentially created a safe space where customers can come together from 
you know, we have customers in every single state in the United States. And so customers are coming together from different backgrounds, different age groups, different conditions. Some of them have very serious mental and physical conditions. Some of them are using Silk and Sonder just to navigate their general wellness routine. And so we have this unique audience that is kind of sharing this Silk and Sonder experience um, from the comfort of their homes. And the online community serves a couple of purposes. One is as a new customer, you don't always know how to best utilize Silk and Sonder. It can be intimidating, especially for those customers who aren't used to journaling or planning um, and wanting to make sure that they're deriving the most value. And so this community is really a, an opportunity for them to ask those questions and receive that handholding and guidance from our veterans. Um, so it's been really interesting to see that being uh, navigated not by us as a brand as much as it is from our you know, older customers who've been with us for a while. Um, and the second thing is, is this feeling, especially now you know, in, in, current, in the current climate uh, where we need support and community more than ever, what's been really exciting to see is how willing customers are to be open and vulnerable with essentially strangers, right? So at least they're sharing data with us as a brand, but they're also sharing insights and experiences with each other to help lean on each other. And I think it's almost like this open pen pal experience where even if you're using Silicon Sonner for different needs, even if it's a mom versus a high school student, there are very different purposes being um, solved, but there's this shared space to feel heard and to offer help and to um, you know, destigmatize emotional and mental health without being too serious about it. And I think that is the beauty of the community that we're creating. And we've really only scratched the surface, Matt. I think we have this whole vision in which we can really dive deeper and, and kind of create these micro communities based on shared interests and shared concerns and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, to start, it's, it's just a space where they can get access to product ideas um, and how to extract the most value from their silk and saunders, but also um, get access to friendship, um, online friendships. So something I'm interested in is, as you mentioned before we started recording, that you have raised some money for this to, you know, to bring this to as many people as you can mm -hmm. and um, bring your vision to light. And we will uh, go into the, the big vision, um, at, you know, towards the end of the podcast. Um, but I'd love to hear what's interesting is, is this is not, SaaS. This is not yeah. straight up software. And I know that VCs love software, but I, you yeah. kind of think that the, 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 uh, some of the outliers, you know, haven't been. And if you catch an outlier that, you know, that blows up, like that's where the real money is made. That's where the real impact mm -hmm. is, is had. So I'm curious, like, ha, ha, what was your experience raising money for Silk and Sonder? And how do you think about it? The, the future fundraises knowing that you're you're kind of a tech platform but also you know almost like almost more like a hardware platform how do you think about all of that in the fundraising uh fundraising scope yeah so i think to start um you know fundraising is not for every business and we know that there's a lot of ways you can get capital apart from traditional venture capital um so you know the first step i took was i knew that i wanted to go beyond the journal so if I wanted to be a planner and journal business, I likely would have bootstrapped. I would have kind of had a cash flow positive uh, intuition and, and kind of run, run that to a few million dollars and then called it a day. 
I think for me, I want to build something much bigger than the journal. And to me, the journal is a gateway into a bigger self-care ecosystem. And if you look at the current self-care market today, what you find is that uh, you know, self-care solutions have traditionally manifested themselves in forms of indulgence. So you've got your mani-pedis, you've got your spa experiences, you've got skincare, and that's very superficial, right? Like I think it, there's a need. I love, don't get me wrong, I love my mani-pedis and skincare routines, but um, it's just not practical to lean on as a solution for every day. And so I began to look out there in the market and I realized, okay, you know, there's CrossFit, there's SoulCycle, there's all these, there's ClassPass that have solved it for fitness. You've got um, Weight Watchers and Noom that have sol solved it for weight loss. Why isn't there a go-to direct-to-consumer solution that has online and offline touch points to solve the emotional health epidemic and provide a self-care experience that is more proactive and approachable day-to-day? -day? And so that larger vision is what drove my experience to fundraise. And I think the biggest pushback I've gotten, especially from VCs in, I would say the Bay Area in particular, is that, like you said, I think there's an appetite and um, a pattern matching tendency based off of B2B success stories. Um, but I think where I put my foot down is that, hey, you know, we have a non-traditional and atypical uh, version of, of how we're strategically thinking about things, but we're also talking about a space that needs an actual solution. So there's plenty of wellness tech applications out there and, and we're likely going to enter the wellness tech ecosystem, but we want to solve the emotional health epidemic. We don't just want to contribute to it and then create a bigger problem than it already is. And so I think you, I think you can get a little picky if you're someone like me and, and is, is, is kind of able to see that, that sometimes the investors can't see. And as long as you can articulate that and, and kind of explain the cohesive journey, I think you can get around it. But yeah, was fundraising tough for that very reason? Absolutely. Especially given my background, I'm, I'm a software engineer and product manager by trade. And so there is a higher expectation of me to deliver on a digital solution. But I think I'm cautious of it because I, I've been in the seat of my customer where we're digitally exhausted and digitally bombarded. And if I want to be the winner in this space, I have to also approach it from a consumer first um, perspective, as opposed to like an investor first pattern matching perspective. And that's really how, I mean, every founder should be thinking. Uh, you, you have a lot of founders that are like, what, what's going to be the investable idea? Yeah. I'm like, no, like that's not how it works. <laughs> you, <laughs> exactly. you, you, do, you work on what you want to work on. And once it starts, like, and you just tell people about it and investors and if they're into it, great. Obviously it's easier. I mean, it's harder than just like telling people and they yeah. give you money, but you should never conform to VCs. It's awesome that, that you didn't whatsoever. Yeah. Um, what, what is, I feel like now in, in 2020, there's a lot more documented about venture capital, how to get it, how to, you know, things to not do than there was, you know, yeah. in 2000. But I still think that it, it, it's still a different world in reality than it is in our books and podcasts and stuff. So I'd love to hear what is one or more things that surprised you when you went out to, yeah. uh, when you went out to uh, raise money for, for your company. Um, and you can mention more than one if you want, but just like, yeah, what, what, yeah. what caught you off guard a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think when I first decided to raise capital, there was a ton of, you know, do's and don'ts. There were a lot of 
rules that are explicitly stated in every medium article. Everybody talks about how it's a numbers game, um, you know, send a ton of emails, get warm intros, you know, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And I think initially I was finding a lot of, I was finding it to be extremely difficult to navigate because I think so much of the brand that I'm building and so much of my core personal value set is being authentic and being transparent and being honest. And I think, you know, I decided to essentially A-B test it. I decided, you know, I was going to tell the honest truth about what we're building, how we're getting there, why we decided to start with the journal, how digital is coming soon, you know, being very honest about my story and kind of going about it in a way where I was going after investors who I thought could identify with the problem that we were solving rather than just being, you know, a famous investor. And so I started to navigate that path very differently than what I was being told by other founders and other investors. And that's when the magic happened. I think when when you demonstrate as a first-time founder that, and especially the solo first-time founder, I think when you demonstrate that you are, you know, you're curious, you're a problem solver, you know how to fail fast, you know how to ask, you know, the right questions and, and be consumer first in your approach to solving those problems, um, alongside being coachable, I think the right investors will come to you. And, you know, I think if I had one piece of advice for founders and especially first-time founders, it's, it's to kind of create your own fundraising journey that works for you. So personally for me, both in dating and in fundraising, I am not a numbers game person. My time is very precious. I don't derive any joy from just having BS meetings and not, you know, not wanting their check at the end of the day. I would much rather spend my time preparing and having fewer meetings that also convert. And so I decided that I was going to focus my fundraising strategy, optimizing for a higher conversion rate rather than creating the top funnel. And I think, I think a lot of founders can get lost in the, how you should be doing it and how you should be creating FOMO and, you know, all of this stuff. I think being honest and upfront and, and kind of being willing to tell an investor you really want them is what's going to lead you to the check. It's not going to be creating false FOMO. I mean, the good investors can read through that bullshit. So I think, I think um, that is the best advice that I have to give because if I had known that sooner, I would have done things a little bit differently. And then the second piece that I think is very important is leverage whatever assets you have. So in my case, yes, I'm very well connected. Yes, I have a large network from my school and you know my previous companies. But what I found was that the level of impatience I had waiting around for those intros um, didn't always yield the best results. And so I'd much rather spend that time, instead of requesting the intros, I could just send the cold called messages that are thoughtful. And I think about a third of my investors actually are from me cold calling. Yeah, that's, this is honestly all gold. You're like really, really, really <laughs> speaking my language. I, as someone hit that, that isn't, you know, wasn't born in the Bay area, didn't go to, didn't, has spent no time in the Bay area outside of a three month long accelerator. I really agree with everything you just said. And I think that sometimes founders get caught up in advice from smart people for sure. Like these are yeah. smart people, but it, I, I think 
like like you said, like first time founders, they fee- they might need someone else's permission to do something, and the person that gives them permission is like the framework they go through. And this is kind of what I did. It was kind of ridiculous. Like about a year ago, a little under a year ago, my my startup was running out of money. I was kind of desperate, um, and uh, I was just like, great, I want to try to do this like kind of like cringy fundraising thing because um, like I really believe in what I'm doing and I we, we need money we're running out of money um, so I did play this like false FOMO thing with some I would say tier one investors like really yeah. good investors and I mean it worked and it didn't work to the point where they funded us for various reasons I don't want to get, get into but like this FOMO game of like pretending like you don't want them making them want you like it actually works but I felt so, it felt so icky. And I'm just like, why yeah. is, why is this a thing? Like, why did someone tell me to do this? And why am I doing this? Yeah. And why is it working? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but I will say, um, like, I, it's funny, earlier today, I was listening to a podcast um, from Spearhead, which is Naval Ravikant's new thing. And he was literally saying exactly what you just said. He said, if, if you're a founder and you're telling a, tier, a true tier one top investor that you only have uh, 48 hours to sign it or else you're gone, the, the tier one investor is going to say, well, I need more time than that. So I'm, I pass, yeah. but, which is, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, do you, do you see, how popular do you think what you just said is, uh, you know, in startups today, do you see it? And, and I guess the second question on that, do you see your mindset growing in founders or is it, is it, is it going the opposite? Is it getting more and rare, rare and rare to find independent thinkers when it comes to fundraising? You know, I think, I think, I think uh, founders are definitely growing their mindset. I think they have to be reminded, right? Like the, the process of fundra- fundraising is so demoralizing. It kind of, you know, you feel in the early days, you feel like you're soliciting. And I think you have to reshape that story to remind yourself that no, you're, you're the one building. In fact, investors would be lucky to have a piece of the pie where they're giving you money that's going to result in a much higher um, outcome. And I think, I think even after you get the money, sometimes you second guess like, oh, you know, oh my God, they're going to regret this. Or, you know, there's that natural tendency of self-doubt um, and imposter syndrome to creep in. But I think, I think it is kind of coming to a point where, and we're seeing this, you know, right now, it's like the good companies, if they're lucky, are going to be able to get through this. And I think this entire COVID situation is forcing investors to also show up for their portfolio companies and, and kind of be, be reminded of, of the hard work and the pain that, that founders also have to go through. And I think for the most part, um, I think the mistake founders make is they forget that investors are human too, right? They're not robots just writing checks. They also have a story. They also have families. They also deal with, you know, different types of anxieties and stresses that you do. And so I think, I think, you know, this is me being a naive first time founder, but I think, um, I think there is FOMO just FOMO works because it's just pure psychology. It's like why it works in in the dating world. It works in the fundraising world. But I think it's really a question on what is worth your, what is worth it for your own anxieties. Like for me, half lying makes me feel more anxious. Therefore I don't do it. But if I'm someone who can navigate that and compartmentalize, then I'll use it to my favor. So I think it's just figuring out what is your strength and which card do you want to play based off of that. 
it's so funny that you you say that. I I, I only, I've only had one investor in my whole life. Um, luckily, it was a pretty good one. It was Jason Calacanis, oh, and it, we, Jason. We, yeah. we we got into his accelerator, and it like he was half joking about this, but he also half wasn't. He told he told us at like a dinner one night. He's like, you know, Matt, like. I, we pretty much ended up investing in you guys because you were too annoying to not say yes to you. Meaning <laughs> I was relentlessly like, I, I, I'm just a follow-up master and I did everything right, you know, right to the point yeah. where, where he, he did write the check in and that all started out cold and note that if you're, if you're listening, um, founders, I mean, it's not, not founders, uh, investors try to find the outliers and there's a, probably a lot of you listening that, you know, may not be connected just like, like I wasn't, um, but they can, I, I think the good ones can like sniff the hustle. And if you keep oh, following up and are persistent, they are not going to forget that. They may not invest today, but like if, if you're actually a true missionary, you know, you're in this for the long haul. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just um, anything can happen if you're just doing things for the right reason, for sure. Exactly. Exactly. So let's go back to, um, to, to what you're building and I'm kind of think bigger picture. So you, you, you raised some capital to make this much more than, you know, a journal and you've much, you know, bigger visions or have a big vision. Can you kind of go into what you're building, where you're rowing to, and, you know, 10 years from now, what do you want to have, uh, what do you want this to look like and what impact do you want to have made? Yeah, absolutely. So I think of this question twofold. One is, you know, 10 years from now, externally, what does Silk and Sonder represent as a brand and, and, and what makes people think of it? And I think the answer to that is quite simple. I think, um, you know, I want every person in the world when they're feeling an ounce of self-doubt or, you know, feeling a little bit of anxiety or stress and not quite sure how to navigate, I want them to think of Silk and Sonder. I want them to think Silk and Sonder is going to make me feel better in this moment right now, even faster than calling up my coach or my therapist or going and buying a self-help book. I know that Silk and Sonder will have a personalized solution for me to help me overcome this hurdle. Um, I think uh, philosophically and like, and, and more so for me personally, uh, when I know I have succeeded is um, when Silk and Saunders' internal company culture becomes the no, new gold standard to adopt, and I think we're seeing we're seeing this today. I think work-life balance. While the Googles of the world introduce this, I think it's practiced in a way that is extraordinarily unhealthy, and we force people to kind of keep personal at home and and make work just about work. And I think what Silk and Sonder is going to change and what I hope that all these other companies are, are also going to adopt after the crisis that we're seeing today is you can't leave personal at home. Personal needs to follow you into work and you need to be relatively transparent so that your fellow colleagues and your managers can support you through that process. And, and similarly, if you need to take a little bit of work home and, and finish it because you were spending an hour dealing with your children's you know pain points on the phone, I think... I think I want I want that level of authenticity to exist across the board, um, and so that's kind of my internal metric. And until Silicon Sonder creates that culture of play and authenticity and and acceptance, um, I think I'll keep working. That's awesome. That's a that's a great vision to have and a great <laughs> direction to be rowing to. Um, I would love to know for the last question. 
um, you know, that, that is a big vision. It's exciting what you're working on, but you're going to need some help to get there. You'll need help, you know, from employees and customers and maybe some more investors, but you also will need help from the forward thinking founders community and the people listening today. Um, so my uh, last question for you is how can the forward thinking founders community help you? Do you have an ask for yeah. any listener? Um, it can be about anything. It could be related to your company. It could be related to high level stuff, but, but what's an ask or two that you have for the listeners of this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think first I will, I will put a shameless plug. If you know any women in particular, but eventually we'll get to men and kids. But for now, if you know women in your life who could use an extra dose of self-care, these are your moms, these are your sisters, these are your wives, these are your friends, um, you know, tell them about Silk and Sonder, help us spread the word, help us destigmatize emotional health by giving them a tool that's approachable and not so serious to help them navigate their day-to-days. Um, and I'm happy to share even a code uh, with you, Matt, after this uh, recording so that we can, we can uh, send it to, to all your forward-thinking founders and their families and friends. And then secondly, I think, um, you know, I think we as founders need to be much more transparent about our own emotional health. I think every day I wake up and I feel like I am an imposter because I'm preaching something and I'm finding myself navigating that world alone. And so making sure we, we lean on each other. So I would love to hear from you personally. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. You can add me on LinkedIn. Um, I love supporting founders. I love sharing their stories. Uh, we have a, um, we have a, a section on our blog where we feature female founders and leaders. So if you, or if you know anyone who would be a good candidate, um, please reach out. Um, and then, you know, even for, for male founders as well, we love spreading the word on new and existing products. And so we'll do everything we can to help our community get to know about yours. So I guess lots of asks in there, but um, would really love to support the entire uh, founder ecosystem, both emotionally as well as through sales. Love it. That is awesome way to end the podcast and with an awesome ask or two. Um, thank you so much for <laughs> coming out of the podcast, honestly, I really appreciate, I think the word is just like your mindset towards entrepreneurship and startups. It's pretty refreshing. Um, just because I, you know, see things that sometimes frustrate me in the industry and the, you're pretty much the, the epitome of like the opposite of these things. Your, your, <laughs> your, your values are spot on and your company is awesome. And I just hope you. You, I, I wish you all the best, you know, are reaching your vision. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into that episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And luckily, there's another one coming up real soon. But before then, I have a couple things to tell you. First, if you're listening to this and you think you're working on something cool or you think you're smart, hit me up on Twitter. I am at Matt underscore Sherman, and that is Matt with one T. So hit me up, shoot me a DM, and I'm happy to check out what you're working on and maybe we can get you on the pod. But at the very least, I'm happy to give you feedback on your product or project or startup. Lastly, if you can please rate this podcast in the iTunes store, that would be awesome. I'm trying to get up in the rankings so more people can discover these awesome founders. And the only way to do that or one of the ways to do that is growing with rankings. So if you like what you're listening to, please just go onto the iTunes store, give it five stars. 
or four, you know, or three. I'm not going to tell you what to give, but just tell whatever I deserve, you should rate that. With that, I'm signing off. See you next time. Bye.